Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Sports Rivals. I'm Gary Thorne. Our purpose in this podcast is to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who have participated in those events. And we have two such people who are uh, joining us today. Catcher Buck Martinez, Hall of Fame pitcher Jack Morris. It's about the rivalry between the Detroit Tigers and the Toronto Blue Jays, focusing, to begin with at least, on the 1984 season. This was to be a big year for the Detroit Tigers, led by Sparky Anderson. They would uh, go on to take it all and win a World Series championship that season. They were led by our guest today on the mound, Jack Morris, 19-game winner that year. Dan Petrie was an 18-game winner for them. Milt Wilcox won 17. They had a tremendous bullpen. Willie Hernandez, an MVP year with 33 saves and over 100 innings pitched that season for the Detroit Tigers. They were led offensively by big home run RBI guys, Lance Parrish and Kurt Gibson. And they featured in the infield and in the lineup a tremendous combination of Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell. And uh, it was to be the fate of the Blue Jays to face this Detroit Tiger team from second place all year long. Buck Martinez, a catcher for that team, a very strong club. It felt it had a chance to win that season as well. And uh, they were led by some outstanding pitchers like uh, Doyle Alexander, who won 17. Dave Steeb, who would win 16. Toronto also had a big potent lineup led by uh, Lloyd Mosby and Willie Upshaw and George Bell. Managers, two great managers, went against one another on these two ball clubs. Detroit led by Sparky Anderson and Bobby Cox would be uh, the guy who would direct the Toronto Blue Jays. So delighted to have Buck Martinez, Jack Morris with us. Let's talk about this great rivalry, the Tigers and the Blue Jays, the 1984 season. Jack, uh, just to start with you, I'm wondering, going into the season, did you have the feeling that this was a club that really had a shot at going all the way and winning it? Gary, I think we did. I think most of us guys kind of uh, looked across the field in in 1993 and realized, hey, the team that just won the World Series, the Baltimore Orioles, are a team that we can beat. And we showed that at the end of the year in 83 by sweeping them in a late season series. Um, And I think the thing that we weren't really quite ready for was how good Toronto was in 94. Um, We got off to one of the greatest starts in baseball history. And after 40 games, we turned around and and they were still on our tails. Like we didn't leave them. (laughs) And I think that's uh, part of the reason we had such great rivalries between the two teams. You know, another thing, Jack, that I, that I thought was really interesting was the fact that the proximity of the two towns, you know, 250 miles apart, and Ontario was divided down the middle, basically by London, because the fans west of London over to Detroit were truly Tiger fans, and anybody east of London over to Toronto were Blue Jay fans. So, um, you know what, you guys got off to that great start, and uh both teams, and like you mentioned, the division was stacked. I think five of the seven teams were over 500. But even in 83, we started to knock on the door a little bit. Uh, you guys had a pretty good run in 83 and got a little bit close. Uh, you finished second with 92 wins, but you're right. I think we all sensed that 
the division was going to be up for grabs, but you guys really got off to a great start, winning nine in a row to start the season. And we just kind of said, well, we might as well play for second, so let's see what we can do. And that was kind of the way we felt. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was just fun, really. I mean, when I look back, uh, and Buck, you and I both know, and Gary, we all we all work in the business and see baseball in a different light today. But those rivalries were wonderful. I mean, I remember how many fans from Detroit would come to Detroit. And, you know, you'd, you'd have 15, 18,000 Jays fans cheering. It's like, what are these guys doing here? You know, the <laughs> and, and we'd go to Toronto and there would be 15, 18, 20,000 Tiger fans in, in Toronto. And I think those were some of the greatest part of our generation, the fact that we had such great fan base follow us around. You know what? We didn't meet for the first time until June 4th. And and then we won a game on Sunday prior to going into Detroit, and we got to within four and a half games. So now we're looking ahead to a four-game series. And it was like, okay, now we got a chance to close the ground on these guys, and, and we're going to make a statement. And, Jack, you'll remember this game. It was the first game. It was Monday night. and We played Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And the crowds got increasingly larger as the series went on. We had 26 on Monday, 35,000 Tuesday, 38,000 Wednesday, and 40,000 on Thursday night. And this is during the week. But, you know, I know you're going to remember this, and I think it was one of the best battles I'd ever seen. Roy Lee Jackson pitching to Dave Bergman in the first of 13 games between these two teams. And I believe it was a 12 or 13 pitch at bat, and Bergman hit that last pitch off the foul pole down the right field line for a game-winning three-run home run. But that's how that season series started between the Tigers and the Blue Jays in 84. Yeah, and I think that kind of exemplified it. It was a very good point that you brought up. How how much both teams were battling. You know, we we enjoyed the rivalry. I don't think we, there was a lot of animosity. We didn't hate each other. We certainly didn't like each other, and we both wanted to win. And... You know, those were the kind of battles that are kind of, they become legendary after time because, you know, everybody remembers those extended at-bats and how close both guys, the pitcher and the hitter, were at being successful and at failing. And ultimately, Bergie got the best of uh, Roy Lee and, and, you know, Tigers win the game. Yeah, it was it was a terrific battle. And, you know, Bobby Cox, uh, he was just fresh uh, into his managing days with the Blue Jays and Sparky. He came over there in 79 as the manager, but the rivalry had been well established. And, you know, the thing that really stands out, you pitched a lot against Jim Clancy that year. And I remember in game four of that first series, it's you and Clancy. And we were going, okay, we win this game. We we win the series three games to one. But, you know, you kind of shoved it down our throat that day. And and the, the, the entire game took two hours and 38 minutes. And Jack did his thing. But that was the way we played, Gary. And it was just one of those things where we anticipated the matchup because, first, of the proximity. I know our families drove down to Detroit for the series each time. And um, it was a great atmosphere in that great ballpark. And I I think that's what really brings back so many great memories was the atmosphere at Tiger Stadium when these two teams hooked up. Doc, I got to ask you, I heard a story here that whether or not it's true. You and Steve obviously both had great seasons competing against one another on these two teams. Did you call him to come back to the mound during a game? 
<laughs> is that true? <laughs> oh boy, where do you guys <laughs> dig this stuff up? You know, it's just hey, a you rumor. can't make this stuff up. You no, it, it is a true story, and I think that kind of exemplifies the competitive spirit that both Dave and I had. I just wasn't going to let him get a freebie by letting some reliever come in and pitch and clean up this mess. It's like, hey, if you're going to be a man and you're going to, you know, man up and be the stud that you're supposed to be over there in Toronto, then beat me fair and square in nine innings. You know, you can't, you can't bail on me early. So yeah, it's a Go. true story. I called over there and said, we're not done yet. Get your ass back out there. <laughs> I, want, I want to get the whole thing on this, Jack. Go back now. Go back to the game. And you're pitching, he's pitching. Now, what happens? How do you find out he's coming out of the game? Well, I mean, I see him, you know, go into their dugout, and he's got a lead. Uh, I can't remember. Buck probably knows this. Uh, you guys probably have the stats there in front of you, but Dave's are winning the game. And Dave's pitched well, but I think it's either the sixth or the seventh inning. And I see him walk out, he's shaking hands, putting a towel up, and he will run walks up the runway. And that's just not what pitchers do that are going to, you know, Dave was a a guy that completed games. I mean, he was, him and I were one and two in innings pitched every year for a decade. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, they had a significant It's like, no, man, we're not done. Cause <laughs> old happy Jack, he's got a trick. I mean, his trick is he gets the boys to score him 10. <laughs> and I and, wasn't pitching all that good, but I knew I wasn't ready to give up on my guys. And, it's like no, I want I want him to get the runs off Dave. I, I don't want to beat it off the guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just the way we were. And that's absolutely the way we were. You know, and we had a four man rotation, so we had four starters that pitched over two hundred innings, and Steve led the pack with the two hundred and sixty seven innings. But but Jack's right on the money. Um, he had eleven complete games that year, a terrific pitcher, and he was for a long time. And and we always felt that. Dave was our Jack Morris, and he was the guy that would set the tone for it. And it was a tremendous rivalry. And this this whole thing back and forth, and and Sparky got in the middle of it. You know, Coxie was as fiery as Sparky. And then I think yeah. the, the separator for us that season, we had twenty three walk off games. Twenty three. We were ten and thirteen in walk off games. Our oh. bullpen wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, we lost a lot of late games. And I think that was the difference between what the Tigers were. I mean, they were much overall. But the real defining aspect of their team was Aurelio Lopez and Willie Hernandez, the back end of their bullpen. And they just slammed the door on everybody. Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, those two guys, uh, Willie in, in particular, uh, Guillermo Hernandez, uh, we call him the king. You know, the way he walked around, you know, he just, he had an arrogance about him and it kind of rubbed a lot of us the wrong way, but he'd pack it up. He'd go out there and like you said, he had 33 saves that year. It was, uh, I think it was a league record, uh, you know, led the league in saves, won the Cy Young, won the MVP all in one year. And I always put it this way, you know, this is a great fit for us because he's going to get to pitch every game that I don't. <laughs> I didn't want him in the game. You know, if, if he came in the game, I feel I screwed up. And, uh, you know, he, he only got two saves for me that year. Um, and, you know, I think that all kind of fit into our overall team thing because, um, you know, he was able to mop up for other guys and he did it in a great, great way. You know what? And they both had over 100 innings pitched and something you don't see anymore. Willie Hernandez pitched 140 innings as the closer. 
It was ridiculous. Wow. I mean, you knew that if the game was in the balance, you're going to see Lopez with his blazing fastball and then Hernandez with that great screwball changeup he threw. And uh, and you're right. Boy, he was cocky as hell, wasn't he, Jack? <laughs> well, and I've always said there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And, you know, as a pitcher, who cares? You want that guy to believe when he's on the mound because there's just no room for any negative thoughts. And, and you know, our game's just too tough to not have confidence in yourself. Yeah, and 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 really Lopez, he was ten and one that year. His ERA was two ninety four, and he didn't even get a nod. He was just one of those extra guys pitching in his situation. You know, yeah, he was he was great. He was great for us, Buck, the year before. He was our closer, and you know, and then when we got uh, Willie, uh, you know, he had to kind of take the back seat and be the setup man. And you know, we all kind of felt bad for him because we we really, as a team, we loved Aurelio. We loved the fact that. You know, he was a quiet guy. He was kind of different in a lot of ways. But, boy, we were all pulling for him when he was on the mound. And he, he did such a great job. He made us nervous. He was one of those classic, you know, relievers that probably put two guys on every inning. But he'd always get out of his own mess. Yeah, he was a, a very good competitor. And you know what? And, and when you talk about that, we, we talk about losing games and everything else. But I think the one thing that was, was really interesting was how similar these two clubs were. You guys had Whitaker and Trammo, and we had Griffin and Garcia up the middle. Alfredo Griffin and Damo Garcia, and and they were as as confident as as Trammo and Whitaker, of course. But they didn't have the same success over the extended period of time as you guys. And, you know, all of the aspects were interesting. I mean, you guys had more regular players than we did. We had a lot of platoon situations with Bobby Cox, Rance Mullenix, and Garth Orge third, and and Barfield was just getting his feet on the ground with George Bell. But the lineups, both lineups were very deep, and it was always a challenge to get through them. Jack, can no I question. ask you, was there a point in the uh, in that season, and maybe it was the very beginning of it, a point, a break point where you were like, yeah, we're, we're okay. We, we are the ones, and this is going to be our year. Do you remember a moment when you felt that? Well, I remember when I felt it. I can't speak to everybody on my team. You know, we had a great start. Buck mentioned we started 9-0. I don't really, you know, it's crazy. I don't even remember that. I don't remember that we started 9-0. But I do remember we won a series in Anaheim where I pitched the final game. It was a Sunday afternoon game. And we had just won our 17th straight on the road to start the season. And the writers Hmm. all came up to us after the game. And it was like, you guys even know what you're doing here? I mean, this is epic. This is like, you're really good. This is really cool. And we kind of looked at each other like, what are they talking about? We're just going out and playing baseball. And, you know, we didn't we didn't dwell on it. And then, of course, we went up to Seattle and got swept. <laughs> That's just baseball. That's the way it works. <laughs> How about yeah, you, Buck, on the other end of that? Was there, do you remember a moment where it's like, you know, something weird, I'm going to catch these guys? Yeah, and we did in September, and and we had a chance to play them again in September, and, and they just spanked us and sent us home. It was I think they won five out of the six games we played in September. But again, the huge crowds, and in the, the time we met in September, we played on the weekend in both cities, and there were over forty four thousand people every time in, in Tiger Stadium. It was terrific atmosphere. Of course, at that time they were getting close to clinching the pennant. So every game, every fan for the Tigers wanted to see the the pennant. But, you know, they had so many good, good players. And I remember, and I don't know if you remember this, and I'm not even sure what year it was, but Alfredo Griffin uh, took out Lance Parrish at home plate on a, on a collision. 
Lance had to reach up high for a ball and expose the left side of his rib cage. And Alfredo weighed about 135 pounds, but hit him just right underneath his armpit and really kind of knocked him out of the game with a collision at home plate. But every game was so intense. And I, I've got to disagree with Jack as far as what he said earlier that, you know, we got along. We hated the Tigers. We absolutely <laughs> hated the Tigers. And, and Jack would stand out there cocky as hell. And, and we knew he was one of the best pitchers in the game. And we were always looking to see if we could pick up something. Can he tip his pitches? And we finally told him, we got your pitches. And he said, I don't give a shit. You can hit him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> Was there, Jack, was there a lot of verbal stuff that went on in this rivalry? I mean, was there a lot of yakking going on during games? Um, you know, Buck, maybe help me with this one. I, I know that we, we talked a little trash between each other, but like you said, and, and I guess I should rephrase the way I, I turn it, you know, it wasn't like we loved each other. But we respected you. I know we respected the Blue Jays. We didn't, we didn't just go in there and say, Oh, these guys are a bunch of arrogant, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we're going to kick their butts. We we went in there knowing that if we didn't, if we weren't on top of our game, we were not going to win. And so we had to go in there with an A game. Right. And uh, that's what I really meant. Didn't mean we liked them, uh, but we did respect them. Yeah, I, I agree with that hundred percent. And and back then, Gary, as you remember, players didn't mix. We didn't mix on the field. We didn't talk to each other, but there was a dramatic amount of respect. I mean, when Trammell came to the plate, hey, how you doing today? Everything good? You know, and Whitaker was the same way. And, you know, nobody talked to Kurt Gibson because he was always grumpy. But he, <laughs> it, it was like, you know, there was such intensity. And it, it, it was exactly the way that both teams wanted it to be. Every mm. game was tense. Every game was tight. And we had two of the best managers in the game uh, directing both clubs. And it was just such a great atmosphere that, uh, I get excited talking about them this day and age because I don't think you have many of those types of rivalries that are in existence today. You know, everybody wants to talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox, but even that rivalry doesn't have the same kind of intensity that it had back in the 80s and into the early 90s. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And the other thing I want to bring up, I think that is, uh, you know, really adequate to talk about right now is, the fact that we had that rivalry and the fact that we played such good series that year and the fact that we had crowds in, in the whole nine yards to, to, you know, bring into the equation is what really helped the Tiger or the Tigers uh, going into postseason. We were confident when we played Kansas City. We knew that there's no way the San Diego Padres were going to beat us. And it was partly because of those great rivalry games in the, in the great regular season games we had with the Blue Jays. We, we even not, you know even you take it a step further than the Blue Jays when you look at the rest of the division the whole division was loaded. Yeah. You guys won 104 games, we won 89. The Yankees were 87 and 75. Boston finally improved and they were over 500 by 10 games. And Baltimore they had dropped down from the World Series season, but you know you got Cleveland and Milwaukee and Milwaukee was on the rise too. Yeah, they, they were, were. coming uh, back from that World Series year in '92. But when you look at the World Series teams, so many years they came out of the American League West or American League East. Yeah. New York and then Baltimore, Detroit, Boston, and Toronto. Those teams uh, competed for the division each and every year. Mm. Jack, I'm wondering sometimes, and, and Buck, uh, on your ball clubs, because you were both so good, I mean, we have such a divergence over years on, on the internal workings 
of really good teams. Sometimes you got the old, you know, 25 limos, 25 guys, and sometimes you got one bus and 25 guys on it. For for Jack, for the Tigers, what was it like? I mean, in, internally with you guys and and how you reacted with one another. Well, again, I, you know, Buck and I can tell stories till we run out of time. Go right <laughs> ahead. The differences of of our generation. We so many of us would sit around. Uh, for hours after games in road cities, especially cities like Cleveland and Milwaukee, where there wasn't a lot of things to do some nights. And, and we would, you know, go drain the coolers full of beverages and yep. uh, try to massage each other's brain and give each other sympathy hugs and, and tell each other how crappy we were. And, you know, <laughs> all of that would come out in the, in the course of an hour and a half to two hours after the game. And then we'd look at each other and said, where are we going? <laughs> and there'd be 15, 16 of us end up at some crazy restaurant or bar and you know, we took it over. And that's just kind of the way it was. I can remember sitting in the Tiger Stadium visitors locker room. Rip Collins was the clubby there. And um, it was a very Spartan locker room. I think the training <laughs> table was in the middle of the locker room. The coaches were in a cage. Everybody could see everybody. But we'd be sitting around after a tough game. Everybody's having a cold beer, looking at each other, saying, how the hell do we lose that game? And yeah. right. we didn't take our uniform off. We just sat around and talked about the game so much that we were trying to figure out, you know what? we got to figure out how to hit those splitters because at that time, the Tigers were really throwing all those split finger fastballs, and they really kind of dominated us with that pitch because we were a very good fastball-hitting team. And and yeah. you know what? They had everything. They had the relief core. They had the speed. They had home run power. And they had that great starting core. But the, the, the fourth ball, Jack, you know, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but that fourth ball really kind of took their pitching staff to another level. It did. And, uh, you know, I learned it in, in late 82, and I threw it all year in 83, but I had it pretty much in command in 84. And that's what really kick-started my personal start to the season, 5-0 and on the, uh, to start the month of April. And, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, I think there were five complete games with a no-hitter mixed in. And, you know, it was all because of that fork ball. That's I mean, a pretty good start to the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, you couldn't pitch six that. innings. Well, tell me, let's stop you right there for a second. Tell me what your preparation was like in spring training for you to be able to come out of the chute and throw five games like that in April. Yeah, you know, again, that was a mindset that I grew up with. And, Buck, you know about it. We, my God, the guys that I really looked up to um, when I was young in baseball, were not necessarily my teammates. It was guys that are now Hall of Famers, you know, the Carltons, the Ryans, the, you know, the Necros, the Palmers, uh, the Seagers, all of those guys were innings eaters, complete game guys, and they went out, and it was, when it was their day to pitch, it was a, it was a, you know, people came just to watch the pitcher, and that's what I wanted to be like. I didn't want to be I, you know, I, I won a game, but I, I got through five and I got help from my friends. That's just not what I was brought up to think. And uh, in spring training, I always, and Sparky was good with me in the fact that he allowed me to become this, uh, kind of forced me into it in the, in the initial times. But he allowed me to become a complete game pitcher by letting me fail. Uh, I sucked up a lot of earned runs in one season, uh, 12 in one game and 13 in another game, but he let me get through the game. And so I go to spring training 
in my heart of hearts, I wanted to know that I was ready to go nine. And I wanted to maybe pitch one or two games in spring training where I had complete games, knowing that I was fully ready for opening day. You know what? You reminded me of a great story about your relationship with Sparky Anderson early on in your career when you were, uh, when Sparky first came over there, uh, you kind of uh, mentioned to him, Hey, I'm better than that guy down in the bullpen. So what are you doing out here? Leave me alone. That's <laughs> <laughs> another one of those great uh, Jack Morris stories that I really am not all that proud of, but it's true. Uh, he was coming out. I was in about the sixth inning, fifth inning, maybe, I don't know. It was one of those pivotal innings in the game. And, you know, I wasn't doing all that great, uh, and he got a guy up in the bullpen. I don't want to mention his name because he was actually a friend of mine, but he sucked. <laughs> and he was coming up. And, and I looked down there, and Sparky had already come out to him. Mom does it. He comes out again. If he crosses the line for the second time, I'm gone. And he starts walking out. So I just jump across the line. He looks up, almost runs right into me. He looks up, just totally bewildered. And I looked at him, and I go, where the hell are you going? <laughs> he, he just looks at me dumbfoundedly. He says, "Back to the dugout," and he did. We <laughs> <laughs> had an awesome relationship. You know, he 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 got into me. Trust me, guys. He had his days with me where I just, you know, I felt like a whip puppy because I earned, I deserved it, and he was being the boss, which he was, and we respected that. But there was also times where I knew how, how much room I had with him, how much leash I had. And some days I took it all the way to the end of the leash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, uh, let me ask both of you. I, I found in uh, doing some of these, sometimes uh, there are questions that over the years, and we're talking about 84 primarily here, but over the years they go by and you guys see each other and you talk and But there are some questions that don't ever get asked of an opponent who you respected and competed against and all of that. And I'm just wondering if either of you, is there something, a question you would want to ask the other that you haven't asked, even in private conversations that has kind of you've thought about and wondered about over the years? Well, I'll start by saying that Jack and I had a chance to work together after many years later after that in Toronto. So we kind of discussed all of these things and too many things that we've never asked each other because we would go back specifically to innings, to pitches, to different situations. And, and Jack, I don't know if you remember this game, but this was an 83 and we're playing a tight game. And, and I'd mentioned that we didn't have a great bullpen until 85. Uh, We went out and got Bill Cottle and Gary Lavelle, and brought them into Toronto. Both of them were kind of on the back side of their careers, and they were both hurt a little bit. And not until we brought Tom Hankey up in in June of 85 did we have a legitimate closure. But going back to 83, we're playing another tight game at Tiger Stadium. And Bobby Cox had this one particular reliever that was really going through a tough time. And uh, Jim Acker was on the mound. He'd pitched about three innings of relief, and he was done. And we're in extra innings. And, and I meet Bobby at the foul line, go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because this guy is down in the bullpen warming up. He goes, I know, I know, but act's done. I got to get him out of there. And before Bobby Cox got back on the dugout bench, Ted Lemon did a three-run home run. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby absolutely went crazy. And oh, it was a right. devastating loss for us. But again, that was just the way that rivalry would always go back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I didn't hit many home runs in my career, as you both know. 
but I was fortunate to hit one in 85. I and mean, one of the first times we'd played against each other in 85 against Aurelio Lopez in a nothing, nothing game. And Jack, you remember the pitching matchup in that game, Dan Petrie and Jimmy key. And I yeah. think Petrie had a, a no hitter into the six and key had a perfect game into the six and it was back and forth. But I, uh, came into the game to face Willie Hernandez off the bench earlier and made an out. But my second at bat was against senior smoke and I hit a two run home run, but those games were so much fun and so intense. And you know what we, like you say, we had so much respect for the team. I mean, they had hall of famers on their team and we had guys that just loved to compete against the tigers. And it was just a rivalry that I think, uh, you know, not many players get to experience things like that over the years. No question. No question. All right, guys. So guy, uh, one, I love it. Gary, one more thing. Yep. The guy that I didn't know much about, and yet he was the star of their team, was George Bell. You know, we heard all these rumors. We heard he was kind of a wild character. But, boy, he played hard. I mean, he, you'd look at him in the, in the on-deck circle, and you'd wonder what color his eyes were because they were mostly bloodshot. You know? <laughs> but, boy, he could hit it. Gosh, I wonder if he could play this game. Uh, with good night's sleep, you know, because he sure is good for a guy that doesn't get much rest. And uh, I didn't know him. I didn't know if those were all true stories or or that maybe, you know, that was just the way he was. And, uh, you know, Buck has kind of filled me in over the years that he was a gamer. Uh, you yeah. know, he loved to, he loved to tease and bees tease. And, uh, you know, I think that's the kind of guy that everybody needs. Yeah. You know, when we, we talk about 84 specifically, but, this rivalry continued, and in, in, in 87, it was a, a down-to-the-wire situation, and uh, George Bell was focused in that game, too. Larry Herndon hit a home run, a game-winning home run. Bell jumped up on the left-field fence and just missed making a catch, but that series in 87 at the end of the year, Jack, was one of the best series I'd ever seen, yeah. and uh, you guys end up winning that final game, and uh took the pennant basically away from the Blue Jays because they had a terrible week. Uh, you beat them in, uh, you beat them in Toronto earlier in that series in September and then did the same thing at Tiger stadium. But that was another great series. Yeah, you're right. It continued. And, you know, I think that's why we can reflect back and, and talk about, you know, the teams, you know, I became teammates with several of the guys Bucks talked about in 92, 93. They were still around Jimmy key, Tom Hankey, you know, uh, Rance Mullenix, uh, Dave Steve, all those guys were my teammates. Uh, and I got to know them on a whole different level then. But, uh, you know, it was it was just, I think we brought out the best in each other because we both wanted to win so much. You know, when Jack came to Toronto after that great season in 91 in, uh, in Minnesota, of course, he and Smoltz had that great game in Game 7 in the World Series. But, you know, when, when Jack signed and came to the Blue Jays, Pat Enkin has told me this so many times that, they felt like when Jack Morris walked into the clubhouse that the Blue Jays got their swagger. And that's what propelled the Blue Jays to the great seasons in the 92 and 93. But Jack Morris brought that from the Tigers and he spread it in Minnesota and he contributed once again in Toronto with a great season in the 91 and 92. Silence. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to it's hard to you know we know that yeah. baseball is a, yeah. a team sport yeah. um I, I i think i instilled confidence in my teammates i i think i learned how to do that in my career um and you know especially my my teammates that were pitchers i 
they would look at me. I remember when I went to Toronto, um, it really started in Minnesota. When I went to Minnesota, they called me Fossil. You know, the guys <laughs> in the bullpen called me Fossil. <laughs> but you know what? Fossils survive. Uh, you know, they, they live a long time. And if you want to be any good, why don't you hang out with a fossil? See if you can keep up with them. And I buried them in every sprint. I buried them in everything all season long. And then I'd look at them and say, you know what? I'm just an old guy. And if I can do it, you can do it. And I just really, really reinforced a positive mindset when they took the mound. I wanted, I wanted to remind them that you're King Kong today. You own that mound. Go out there and show the world. And, you know, I, I know that inspired some guys that really had never quite heard it that way. Yeah, that and, you know what? To take that a step further, Pat Henkin told me that, you know, and Henkin would go on to win the Cy Young in 96. But uh, I, I think, Jack, uh, you were talking about, you know, talking and passing along your experience to the younger pitchers. And, and Pat said at one point you told him, you know, kid, you know how you win in this league? You stay out there longer than the other guy. And yeah. that was your mindset that you, you're not going to leave until you put your team in a position to win. And more often than not, you're going to walk off the field with them. Yeah. Guys, I really appreciate it. I hate having to get up from the bar here and, uh, <laughs> and cut the conversation off. <laughs> uh, it's been, uh, it's just been great. Uh, thanks to both, uh, both of you to Jack Morris, Buck Martinez, Toronto, Detroit, it's kind of centered around, 84, and I hope the fans get a real feel for uh, the intensity of what the rivalry was and what these two guys were as players, too, to exemplify the attitude of the guys who played um, in that day and age. Now, that's going to be another chapter of our sports rivals, and we really appreciate your being on board with us. To learn more about uh, this and other episodes, you can log on to thesportsrivals.com. Join the conversation with questions and suggestions for future shows. You can follow us on Instagram at the Sports Rivals, Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for the Sports Rivals podcast. Thank you all for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. And remember, it's the rivalries that make the games. <laughs>